Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I love that story. It's it's just full of imagery. It's full of, like, it activates your senses. Like, if, if we were to be a classroom right now, and I invite you into a place of deep participation in a story, you would see all sorts of things happening in that text. There is so much that we can be excited about. Um, I'm, really, I'm really excited to be able to be here and to share God's word with you today. Um, as I was preparing uh, for this service and for the sermon, I really came to see that the text that was provided in the lectionary reading was perfect. So for those of you that might not, ev- might not even know what I mean by that, uh, the lectionary is something that a lot of church, church traditions use um, as a guide for scripture reading throughout the entire year. So they've set forth texts for churches to use and reflect on um, as they go through the Christian calendar. So we're only one week away from Holy Week. That one week in the Christian calendar where everything kind of comes together at its pinnacle, at its peak, we're all going down on this one journey and then we have this great turn of event. We have the crucifixion and the resurrection. So this story that we just heard takes place in the Gospel of John right before all of that stuff happens. So uh, John chapter 11 is this great moment, and then that it's after this miracle that things start to spiral down in the life of like Jesus and his disciples. Things start to kind of go sideways, and then it ends up at the cross. So that's, that's kind of where we're at um, 
I love God's word, and I love that uh, as a community of faith that we are able to participate together and relive it and experience it and talk about it in ways that are life-giving. It's more than just this. I hope you guys know that, that God's word is more than just a book. Because this, is, this chronicles the story of God. This puts it down for us so that we can go back to it. But it's God's people reading this and living in it and participating in it where that's really where God's word comes from. That's, that's the life is in our participation with this sacred text. Um, I love this story because we see that We have a God who is moved to weep with us. He's moved to anger and he's deeply troubled. He's powerful enough to raise the dead and compassionate enough to not leave us uh, where we once were in our darkness and in our past. It is a good and victorious story. Um, This morning I'm going to spend, oh, I was telling Joel today that I was going to time my sermon. So I'm starting now. So now I have 15 minutes. We can ignore whatever else I just did. So, and start. So now, now I'm officially starting and now I'll be officially on time or I'll officially know when I'm over time. So anyways, um, there was a couple of questions that were running through my mind as I reflected on this text that I'd like to share with you. And these are the questions. What does this story reveal to us about Jesus's motivations and his nature, his character? Um, My second question was, what foreshadowing of the cross can we see in this story? And then my third question is, what personal and communal applications can we take from this story? So you could draw your own conclusions from this story, and I think that's okay. I think it's good that when we read scripture that we are wrestling with it for ourselves. And what I'm going to share with you is where I've been led through my reading, through some of my study, through meditation, prayer, and reflection. So uh, let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. I thank you that together we can uh, come here and we can wait and know that you have something to share with us. Uh, Thank you for guiding us and being a part of our community. We can't do this without you. We wouldn't do this without you. This is, everything is about you. And thank you. Um, I really don't like that that crying is contagious. some of you might not know what I'm saying. Some of you are like, nope, that, I don't even understand. But I hate that moment when you think everything's been put together and you're doing okay. Maybe you're watching like the wrong kind of show. Like, I mean, an emotional show. Um, those are the wrong kinds of shows to watch, by the way. Um, and you're sitting there and everything's fine. And then you look over at the person beside you and they're just crying. And then something happens to you and you're like, oh, I feel something too. Um, You either feel guilty that you're not crying or sometimes you feel awkward that they are and you don't know what to do about it. But a lot of times, like tears and emotions are contagious. One of my favorite things to do when I was younger is we would have like a laughing circle where we would like um, all, it's so silly. Do you, I don't know. You're nodding like you think you know where I'm going with this. Where we would all like lay in a big circle and we would put our heads on each other's stomachs and then we would, I know, that, that, 
I was a kid, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> well, I might do it with my nieces and nephews. Um, and then we, one person would laugh, and then it was the next person would laugh, and you had to fake laugh, because like, nothing was actually funny yet. But then your head would bounce on the person's stomach as they're laughing, and it just slowly got funnier and funnier and funnier until you went all the way around, and everyone's just laughing and no one even knows why. It's, it's amazing. It's great. I prefer that version than the crying part. But emotions are contagious. Um, and that's good. That's a normal thing. That's a normal human behavior for us to make a connection with someone and enter into where they're at, feel what they're feeling, have that empathy, and then together go on a journey and work through it. This story illustrates and shows us a God that does that so truly and so well, like um, in verses 33, uh, 35, and 39, um, if you have your little bulletins with you, or if you have your Bibles with you, you can look at those. Um, we have these clear illustrations, these clear pictures where Jesus expresses deep emotion. That first element where he says he got, he was deeply troubled in his spirit. Another way that we can legitimately interpret that text is he got really upset, that he was deeply angry. Now us, as like the even-keeled Canadians are less comfortable with, with a God who gets like angry in those situations, but I think we can use the word God got angry. Um, and that's okay. And I'll, I'll explain why in a second. And then we have this profound simple verse, the the smallest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept. And you could write sermons and essays and whole conversations could be wrapped around those two words. Jesus wept. He saw what was going on. He saw his friends in pain and in suffering and just twisted up because of this death And he wept. And everyone around him said, wow, Jesus really loved this guy. Like, we could stop right there. We could end the conversation right at that point, knowing that we serve a God that wept for his friends, that wept over death, wept over the injustice of it. And then later again, in verse 38, we see it come come up again, where he was deeply moved. He was upset. So we have this God, this man, who demonstrates to us an empathy and a compassion for both Lazarus and his family. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can interpret Jesus's anger, uh, but most most scholars uh, agree overall that the likely reason of his frustration and anger is actually directed at death itself. That in that moment, he got so upset that all of these people, his friends, are just so heartbroken by the injustice, the wrongness of death. And he got mad at death. I love that. Um, Because it's death that's the sting of sin, right? It's the frailty of our humanity. It's the small deaths, like the little things when relationships go wrong, all the way to the, the big death when life ends. And Jesus clearly is not okay with it. He is angry at it. I should open my Bible so I can start referencing where I want to go here. 
Um, he, is, he is frustrated. He is angry at it. And what you see here um, uh, is, is a God who is motivated to action, not, not only by his emotions, but as part of it. So we have a God, we have Jesus, who is deeply weeping, like loving his friends, and extremely upset and angry over the power of death. So he has these two emotions that are at work, and right out of that place where he is once more deeply moved, he goes to the, to the tomb, um, to the cave, and he says, take away that stone. I can just picture Jesus saying that, like, you get that stone out of the way right now. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of these tears. I don't want this anymore. This is not why I came to this earth to see you guys weep over death. This is not why. This is not right. This is not why I'm here. And I can just picture God, Jesus just getting all upset over this situation, so that's, the, that's kind of like the first picture that I have is that Jesus is motivated by his empathy and his connection with humanity and he's motivated by holy and righteous emotion that leads to action. He is, and it's good. That's right. I could stop there. Maybe I should. What time is it? How, where's my timing at? I have eight minutes. Okay. Um. We could stop there. In that, like, we could say, be like this Jesus, who is motivated by a deep love for people, is motivated to righteous anger over sin and death and the things that are wrong, and let that emotion move us to action. Move us to say, get that stuff out of the way. I'm sick of it. But we won't stop there, because I still have some time. Um, <laughs> And then, what's the next point? The next element in the story is where we have, uh, I'll skip down here, and he says this. Uh, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So then they move the stone. And then he says this. He prays out loud, Father, I thank you for what, I thank you that you have heard me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So another part of his motivation for what's happening here is that Jesus is doing this because he wants to give glory to the Father. That he is embarking on this great moment in history where we witness Jesus raising a man from the dead so that the world will know that God is God and that God is powerful and that Jesus sent him and that he and God are one. So we have this objective that he has to reveal the father, to make him known, to make his power known. So we have Jesus motivated by love, Jesus motivated by a righteous anger against sin and death, and Jesus motivated to give glory to the father and to make, make it known that he and the Father are one and that he is doing everything that the Father asks him to do. It's a great picture of the mission and the life of Jesus wrapped up in one story, that this is who our God is, those things, that he came to earth to do these very things. 
Now, it would just be a a sad story if it actually didn't work, right? If Jesus came, said all of these great things, and, and then there was no resurrection. Lazarus didn't come breaking out of of the grave. It would just be really ironic in a sad, pathetic kind of way. And, but that, that we know is not the case. Now, a lot of people in the world would say, no, that probably is what happened. And then Christians, you know, they, they made this up. But when you, when we actually take a, a close look there's, there is no reason for the early church to fabricate these kinds of ridiculous stories because they're ridiculous. They're crazy. Like they are beyond normal and yet they were compelled. John is compelled to tell these stories because this God has to be known despite embarrassment, despite the ridicule of the early church being like made fun of for telling these stories. They're like, but they had to tell it because they were true stories. All right, uh, turn your page, Trent. Here we go. Um, so the next element that I wanted to focus on is, was that, third, that second question, which was, do we see the foreshadowing? And I'm sure by now you can already start to see images of the cross, hints of the cross in this story. The most obvious, and I'm going to go to the obvious, is, is this resurrection event. That here we have, death appears to have won. Death has weighed, laid waste to the community. They are weeping. They're broken. Lazarus is wrapped up in a tomb, and, it's, and he's rotting and stinking, and it's terrible. And then we have God show up and say, this is not the end. This is not the end of the story of my friends. Death is not the end. And we see that clearly and powerfully in the cross. The story of Lazarus, as amazing as it is, does not even come close to the cross and the resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection was temporary. It was a patch, a hint, a glimmer of the victory that was coming. It was really just saving his death for when he's a little bit older. So it was just a witness to the power, but it wasn't the full miraculous power that we know and that we will be celebrating in two weeks' time. The power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. So the question, though, that always remained for the cross was, so Jesus could, could raise maybe someone else, but... But when you're dead, how do you get, how do you raise yourself, right? It's one thing to help someone else while you have the ability and you have the power and capacity, but it's another when you don't, you're, you're the one who's died. And so that question remained and, and lingered. And as people watched Christ die, that's right, exactly. As, as we watched Christ die on the cross, the question was, why didn't he save himself, Right? And then we have this resurrection happen. The resurrection of Jesus that significantly and definitively changes the course of history for all time. You may not understand that, but it's true that everything changed in that moment. Life was always going in one direction. Death always meant one thing. And then in Jesus, 
everything changed. And now, as Paul says in, in many places, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. But when we cry and we, we cry over sickness and illness and death that we still see, we cry differently than those who have no hope because we have a hope. We have the evidence that this is not the end because our Lord and Savior has been raised. He has actually conquered death. I love the image. I love the picture of Jesus on the cross where the enemy is hurling and throwing everything he can, all of his vile, evil, everything selfish at Jesus, and Jesus just keeps absorbing it and absorbing it and taking it upon himself to the point where he just, everything collapses on Jesus and Jesus collapses into the grave down into hell where he then can reach and he grabs hold of Adam and Eve's hands and pulls them up out of this place of waiting out of this place of brokenness and desperation and it's in this victory in the cross the strange mystery that the cross where Jesus takes all of it upon himself that he is able to in great irony turn it on the enemy and say oh wow you just threw everything you had at me to the point of your exhaustion and now this is when I stand up and show you who's actually boss it's profound and it's important and the early church for centuries that was the way they pictured the cross they, they pictured that entering into hell and we, we, we proclaim it in the Apostles' Creed and he descended into hell and on the third day he rose again. And that, that little line was important. It mattered because this world, people look to this world and say, it's where, who won? Who's won? And we can say, God has won the battle. He's actually victorious. And the cross is the strangest craziest place that God would choose to show his power. No one could have predicted, no one could have predicted that this is the location of victory where a man was humiliated on a cross and yet he chose that spot in the most profound and deeply meaningful way because victory did not come through his, this exertion of will and power but through just taking it all we threw everything we had, all of our brokenness, all of our selfishness at, at, at God, and he just took it and absorbed it. Really, that is the only way in our world to, for us to conquer evil, is there's no eye for an eye. There's no deflecting it. There's no bouncing it back. It's just absorbing it and breathing out victory through love, sacrifice, surrender, and the power that comes from that. And so I would encourage us, even in that moment of seeing Uh, through the story of Lazarus, this profound victory over death. It's exciting. (laughs) Um, And and so where where do we go from here? What can we take from this story? I think there's a lot that we can take from this story. One of them is, let's live victorious because our God has won the battle. Let's do that. Let's be a victorious people because we can. Um, I would agree, definitely. Um, So at the very end of this passage, we have Jesus saying this. uh, The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in linen. You've seen those pictures of like all wrapped up. um, 
and he comes like probably like waddling out. Like it'd probably be a really interesting scene to be in, right? He comes like waddling out and he's got linen wrapped all over him. And then Jesus says like, get out of that clothes and like help him get on his way. And I love that one line because as soon as I read it and I I read it for myself, I felt God say, that's the line. That's the life. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying to you today, Trent. Like take off that, that stinky death wrapped linen that's restricting you and get on with the, the victory. Get on with the resurrection life. Lazarus isn't dead. Get him out of that clothes that are symbols of death. Um, I work out. Um, I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> um, but I exercise. And I, are you, why are you, yeah, I have, I have some props. These are props you guys want to keep a distance. Um, so I work out. And so the problem with working out is that apparently cotton is the enemy now. Um, and so you, you buy these polyester type products and how many of you exercise from time to time? Yeah, you can, okay, yeah, all right. Oh, honest moment, that's great. Um, from time to time, the problem with polyester, do you know where I'm going with this? Okay, is you exercise, you're like, I have no idea. Trent, I don't work out. I didn't put my hand up. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, they say cotton's the enemy because um, it doesn't evaporate water quickly, so it cools you off, like, like in, in not the right way, like, and it keeps you wet and all of this stuff, whatever. It's mar- marketing. Um, <laughs> so if you can't afford merino wool, which is like super fancy, you usually go to the polyester world, and then after a certain period of time, you've been exercising and working out, and then you wash your clothes, and then you wear it again and wash and repeat, and that cycle goes on. But eventually, this shirt, my shirt, hit a point where it didn't matter how much I washed it, it kept stinking. Does anyone here understand what I'm saying? Is there any nods? Is there some truth? In... I, and it was so frustrating because I had some good memories with this shirt. This shirt saw me do some good bench press. It protected me from the elements. It was valuable, but it reeked. And so I got to this point where like, I even was like, I'd, I'd washed it. I was clean. I knew I was. And I'm like exercising. I'm like, what is, what is that smell? Like, who is that? I'm looking around. Is it Joel? Like, it, it could be. And then I'm like, so I like, that's me. What is happening? How did the smell come from me? Well, it wasn't really me anymore. It was the shirt. It had absorbed this like stink, right? So I washed it and then I started to try to Febreze it. It didn't work. (laughs) I tried. All it did was like momentarily capture the smell and then explode and release like the smell all over again. I shouldn't be talking like this in church. This is bad. Um, But it got to the point where I was like, it just has to go. I can't, I can't keep wearing this. I, I, it, it doesn't represent me. It poorly represents me to the people I work around. They're like, oh, wow, that guy. I'm like, no, I'm not that guy. I'm hygienic. I'm clean. I wash myself and my clothes. But, for, but to the world, and even to myself, it, it left me in doubt. Like, well, maybe I, I do smell. But it was the clothes. When we see this story, and we see how quickly Jesus encourages 
uh, Lazarus to get out of that rotting, filthy, nasty four-year-old, or four-year, wow, that's four-day-old linens. I don't know if there's any nurses in the house, but my goodness, I can't even imagine the smell of those linens that are like wrapping up gangrene limbs. I shouldn't, okay, i move on. And so I can understand why Lazarus' sister was like, Jesus, he has been in there for four days. Like, I miss my brother so much, I'm not interested in being introduced to him now. Like, please, I don't need to be accosted with that kind of smell. And so I can appreciate her, her hesitancy there. And you know, what's interesting about grave clothes is if, and the other thing about grave clothes is it's very restrictive, right? Like it's all tightly wrapped up. It's to keep the limbs in. And um, actually, grave clothes are perfect for you. Like you, I would recommend you wearing grave clothes um, if you're interested in a life that is completely inactive, um, you appreciate darkness, um, isolation, no movement, no eyesight, nothing. So if, if that's your life, grave clothes are a perfect fit for who you are. But that is not who we are. We are, we are alive and we are called to live and move in such a way that our, our previous life our life that has, was wrapped up in selfishness and sin and darkness has no place in the resurrection life. They're too restrictive. Our old way of life, our old habits, our old actions, there's just no room to move and be free like the gospel invites us to move. And that, that's an amazing thing that we are being asked. Like if you today have accepted him, our Lord Jesus as your savior, if you've accepted his offer of forgiveness from your, your sinful, selfish ways, and if you have received new life, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Quit wearing your past. Lazarus came out of that grave and he had to get that clothes off because all that was good for was a dead man. You are not dead people. God has invited you to live a life that is leaving that stuff behind. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We can't run the race that God has called us when we're wearing corpse clothing. But a lot of times we do. And I hope you understand the metaphor that I'm, I'm going after here is there's the old life that we've lived the old habits and patterns and actions that are restricting our freedom to live who we really are. I am not, when I work out, I am not the stinky shirt. I'm not. But if I wear it, I might think I am. And I might define myself and other people might see that. But that's not who I am. And, and, and the sin and the selfishness and all of the, like, the death stuff that's wrapped around in our lives, that's not you. So take it off. Throw it off. Get rid of it. In Colossians 3, I love what it says in 12, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the kind of clothing that we are now able to wear to live the life that we've been called to live because Jesus has been victorious. He has taken us out of the place of the grave where we're wrapped and we're in darkness, we're in isolation, and he calls out, get out of there, you don't belong there. Death is not, does not wear you and suit you well. Leave that sinful life and come out right now and take that stuff off. So you and me, like Lazarus, are a new creation. And so we get out of that old stuff and we put on the new stuff. The life of Christ, the the power of Christ, has given us a life of freedom so that we can live and move and we've got to let this stuff go. In Luke 24, 49, and I'm almost done here. Uh, it says, I refer, and this is Jesus saying this, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead, is the same power that is at work in us. Let that truly sink in, that the same power that had victory over death itself is the same power that we receive by the Holy Spirit that frees us to leave the grave behind and frees us to live in a new way. God is calling us out of that dark life And he's calling us out of those things that trip us up, hold us back, darken our vision, and just stink. And he offers us clothes that are robed in victory and power. And that's the life that I urge all of us to know and to consider. And if you don't consider yourself having received that power from on high, if you don't sense or feel as though that um, you are in a place Uh, that you can live out of that darkness, then I encourage you to talk to a friend. I encourage you to talk to someone here about what does it look like for me to begin to walk out of this place, to take that clothing off, to truly acknowledge that I am a new creation and live like it. And then the final thing where I want to end with this is, um, do we have a bad habit of treating people according to their, their grave clothes? when you look at someone and you see all of the stuff wrapped around them, how quickly do we judge them for their appearance, what they're doing, what they're up to? And I would encourage us to have the eyes of Jesus that sees behind behavior, sees past the smell, and sees the humanity, and sees the potential of a new life, that we not be wrapped up in seeing people by their habits and their lifestyle, but going beyond that and having the eyes of Christ to see that all of us are, have the image of Christ, have the image of God in us. And we can call that out. You know what? I'm pretty sure Lazarus's friends needed the encouragement when Jesus said, you know what? Like, like help him get out, get out of that stuff. People are like, whoa, <laughs> dead man walking. This is scary. I'm kind of scared. Um, 
He, they needed encouragement to step in and help Lazarus live the life he now was able to live. And I would encourage all of us to recognize and be encouraged. Go and help people take that stuff off their lives and help them live the life that they are called to live, that they've been freed by the power of the cross to live. I think we can do it. I think this community can be that kind of community that can do that for others as well as living in the victory. Um, In a moment, uh, we're going to have uh, Skyview Stories. Uh, And it's a time that we set aside every month where you, where we as a community can share and can talk about what God has been doing. And in particular, what has God been doing in your life in this season of Lent, Um, in this journey? Or perhaps, what is God moving, uh, what has God been up to in your life that reflects what we've heard today?